What's up, everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the QB Squared Podcast. I'm your co-host, D. Hale, joined by... Chad Martini. And this is something we've wanted to do for a while. We're two quarterbacks playing in college that just love talking ball, whether it's football, basketball, all sports. And we're super excited about our first episode today, where Chad has a very special announcement about. Yeah, I mean, really excited for this episode. We're going to talk some sports, talk some latest news in sports. But, I mean, most importantly, we got a great interview coming up with my brother, Zach Martini, who just about a month ago was in his Cinderella run with the Princeton Tigers. The 15 seed got two big wins in March Madness. We have a really exciting, um, a really great talk coming up, and I'm really excited to air it and have you guys give it a listen. Yeah, it was a great conversation, and it's coming up later in the episode. But first thing we'll talk about, and in our first episode, it will make sense for you guys to learn this about us, is we are ride or die, diehard New York Jet fans. And we are airing this episode roughly 24 hours after the official news of Aaron Rodgers being traded to the New York Jets. Um, I can't remember an offseason move as a fan of any team in my life that had me so excited. I dropped my phone in the kitchen yesterday when I got the notification. I don't know. What was your reaction like? Uh, I, I was at the football facilities. I went into every coach's office, basically, and shared the news. Especially shout out Coach McDonough. Went to him. Huge Jets guy. Had to show him love. He was super excited, super stoked about the news. For sure. Shout out to Coach. I wore my Sauce Gardner jersey to my corporate finance class. Just tons of excitement here in Ithaca and I'm sure around the world for gang green fans. So let's talk quick the details of this trade. You know what the Jets get, obviously. The aging Aaron Rodgers. We'll talk about that in a second. But still a superstar. Four-time MVP. Most recently within two years ago. Um, so we get that. Obviously, we swap the first round picks. The Jets get pick 15, give away 13. And they also get a fifth round pick in this year's draft. While the Packers get the Jets second round pick in addition to their first round pick. A sixth round pick this year. And the most interesting part of the deal, a conditional second round pick for next year's draft. But if Aaron Rodgers plays more than 65% of snaps next year for the Jets, that becomes a first round pick, which he's done in most or almost every year of his career th thus far. Chad, I'm curious to hear from you. Like, let's dive right into this. What do you think about the Hall? Is it a fair trade? Obviously exciting to get Rodgers. Yeah, I mean, it's super, super excitement around the Jets organization getting Rodgers. I mean, ever since he was on the McAfee podcast and kind of gave the news that he wants to be a New York Jet, there's a lot of excitement in the gangrene, like we mentioned. I think Stephen A. made a great point. A lot of people think that the Jets gave up a little too much or a little more than they were expecting to give up. I mean, they basically gave up two first-round picks, even though they're swapping one with a two-pick difference. It still is two first-round picks on paper along with the second. So that does seem like a lot of compensation. But at the end of the day, Stephen A. said it. You're getting Aaron Rodgers. You're getting a Hall of Fame quarterback. You're getting an elite quarterback. And the Jets haven't had an elite quarterback since, if you want to argue, Brett Favre. And he wasn't even at that top level when he Sanchez. came to the Jets. You can say Sanchez. I mean, little Geno Smith, even though he didn't want to be elite with us, elite yeah, with the Seahawks. You got a point, though. Yeah, but I mean – you, when you get a guy like Aaron Rodgers, you know you're in a win-now mode. You have a great roster around him, and there's just, like we said, so much excitement. So you can't say that either team really won the trade. I mean, the Packers obviously got more than they want, were expecting, obviously, to get back. But the Jets get Aaron Rodgers. I mean, what else can you say? It's it's awesome. Look, what I think the Jets are doing here is simply following a recipe. It's that simple. Joe Douglas has been the man since he's walked in. Obviously, the uh the physical results haven't come to fruition yet in terms of with Rob Sala as well. Jet fans have been patiently waiting to get to the playoffs. That hasn't happened since they've gotten hired. The Jets actually want to have the longest playoff drought in American sports right now. Yeah. Which uh thanks to the Kings. Which yeah, which we'll get to as well. But 
neither of us are excited about that. But getting back to this recipe I'm referring to, if you look back at the last five years in the NFL, two Super Bowls to look at was the Buccaneers, who were traditionally a poverty franchise. What did they do? They went out for the home run, win-now team. They got Tom Brady. They got all his guys. And they said, look, this might blow up our franchise for the future, but we got a patient fan base that's been waiting their lives for a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. And what did they do in that very first year? They won a Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. They got the veteran quarterback, uh, obvious first ballot Hall of Famer. Tom Brady is the GOAT, as much as it pains me to say it. So that's that's example one of that recipe. And then later on, a year or two later, the, the L.A. Rams went out and got Matt Stafford. Is he a, as great a quarterback as Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady? No, but he's a veteran QB who came right in and affected them instantly. Yes, they had more in place than the Buccaneers did, but hey, I can sit here right now and make the same argument that this Jets team before Rodgers' arrival is better or is, is, is as good as that Rams team before Stafford's arrival because look at the defense we have. I mean, if you look at that Rams team, they have obviously Aaron, they have Aaron Donald up front, arguably the best interior defensive lineman of all time, Jalen Ramsey in the defensive backfield. But well, we have two first pro all guys on defense too, and I'm sorry for saying we so much on the show. I know we refrain from that. Uh, in general, talking talking sports, but I mean, we're just so excited about this Rodgers deal. Got what it. I mean by that is, you know, Quinnen Williams, hopefully that deal gets done very soon. Uh, first team all pro, and then obviously the excitement of the Jets right now, Sauce Gardner. Look on the offense side of the ball, Garrett Wilson, the Jets brought in Al Lazard as well. McCool Hardman. McCool Hardman, healthy Brees Hall, healthy AVT. Hopefully we get a a good a good first round draft pick at the offensive line position in this year's draft coming up Thursday night, which we'll probably detail more on another episode. Yeah. But the point here to make is that the Jets are following a recipe and they're following a winning recipe. And the pressure is on, though, I will say there has been a lot of backlash and criticism about this trade in terms of what if Rodgers isn't the, the the product that we expect we're getting here, you know, is what if it's only a year and then he's done or two years or he's not focused or he's uh, doing some hallucinatory drugs somewhere across the world during OTAs. But I actually have faith. I mean, I've had faith my whole life. It's, it's cost me some, some long days, long nights having faith in this team, but I have faith in Aaron Rodgers that he'll, he'll buy into the new atmosphere. Cause I think he actually does have something to prove despite his, his incredible resume. He has something to prove to the media, something to prove to everybody because he's really hasn't shown up in the playoffs since he won that Super Bowl, And this is the year to do so book your plane tickets. The jets will be playing in February. So, yeah. I mean, Chad and I couldn't be more excited about this Rogers deal. I think it's, it's a sign from God to start our own podcast that Aaron Rodgers is traded to the Jets because I can't remember a deal this big. Definitely, man. One Jets drive is happy. It's a great place to be right now. One Jets drive. Yep. And uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, Bill, one thing that Bill and I can agree on is our passion for the New York Jets. I mean, love that team. But where we disagree is with our basketball teams. Um, ever since my uh, New Jersey Nets became the Brooklyn Nets, there's been a little fight in New York City for who's the best team in New York. It looks like the Knicks are holding that crown right now after the Nets had it for a few years. Um, Knicks are up 3-1 on the Cavs right now. Lots of excitement outside the Garden. I mean, it looks like New York is blowing up right now with all these Knicks fans in the streets. But, I mean, 3-1, you have a great team. You have Jalen Brunson, who people are crowning the king of New York right now. I mean, how excited are you for this, Dylan? First of all, there's no debate as to who New York's team is. Anybody listening knows – I mean, there's no question at all that the New York Knicks are the team for New York. You could say what you want about the Nets and their playoff appearances. They don't have any rings on their fingers. 
and we don't either in, that, right. in those years. I don't care. I mean, look what you've had. You've had Durant come through, Harden, Kyrie. You had the best big three offensively, I think, all time in history. But I'm not going to spend time bashing your Nets, Chad. I know you got some uh, some um, sore spots right now after they got swept by Philadelphia. But how about those Knicks, man? Go New York, go New York, go. I mean, the Knicks are up 3-1 against the Cavs. I do kind of feel bad for Donovan Mitchell because – I saw him tearing up after the game. The guy wants to be a Nick. You know, the fans are the fans are on Broadway after the game chanting, don't you wish you were a Nick Donovan? And they're doing the same for KD, which is more understandable. That guy should have been a Nick. And he damn sure wishes he was a New York Nick. I'm pretty right sure now. he's happy he's not. Oh, yeah, please. He went through hell and back in Brooklyn. He wishes he's on the other side of the bridge. Anyway, Jalen Brunson, let's talk about it. He's the best, the best point guard in the Eastern Conference playoffs right now. Julius Randle scares me. I mean, every time he puts a shot up in the playoffs, you kind of pray and uh, pray that you, you don't get hit in the head in the front row because he, he bricks everything he shoots. But I'm praying for him to find it, and I think he will. R.J. Barrett, what an awesome story. The fans started to turn their back on him a bit. I mean, let's be real here, and it goes back to Rodgers too. The New York media, New York fans are tough wherever you play, and uh, R.J. Barrett was definitely hearing it a lot from the fans and he came into the Garden games three and four and absolutely took the roof off. They're chanting in the they're Trent they're chanting in the train. They're chanting at the Garden. His name super awesome to see. Um, Knicks just a team effort uh, stepping up to take this three one lead over the Cavs. I'm sure next week I'll come on this show and be crying about how we blew that three one lead. But hey, there's optimism. There's a lot of optimism in New York, and I'll say on on our side of the. Uh, of the Brooklyn bridge, things are looking good for the New York Knicks better than ever hoping to get into that next round. But you want to talk about what's next for your, your Brooklyn Nets, because obviously there's been some bright spots. It was definitely a weird year, but your year is now over. So what, what are you thinking, Chad? Yeah. I mean, first I just got to say, uh, Thibodeau's doing a great job with the Knicks before we get to the Nets. I mean, just the physicality that they're playing with, they don't have, they don't have a fully loaded all-star roster, but they just play basketball the right way. So Kudos to Thibodeau. He's been getting some hate, getting some questions over the past few years, but he's doing his thing right now, and, I mean, he deserves all the credit for that. Uh, yeah, I'll just briefly talk on the Nets. It, it was interesting. I was telling everyone I think the Nets are going to get swept or a gentleman's sweep or they're going to uh, lose it 4-1. Yep. They couldn't take one game out, even without Embiid in game four, and even with Harden suspended, and Embiid should have been suspended in game three, but – Look, they lose 4-0. They have a really bright spot in Mikel Bridges. I'm really curious what they're going to do with Cam Thomas. And now there's all this noise with Damian Lillard because he wanted to show up courtside to his first ever NBA a NBA game he's ever appeared at since being in the league as a fan. It's a Brooklyn Nets game, so who knows what's going on with that. But, I mean, the Nets can't afford to tank as the Rockets have all their picks. I don't think they should really go all in on Damian Lillard because I don't think they have a win-now roster right now as – they do have a lot of young, good talent and a good little core they have going on right now. And it seems like they're just a score or offensive threat away, but that's a really tough spot for them right now. But I think uh, the best series in basketball right now, we need to talk about the Kings series, Kings versus the Golden State Warriors. Light the beam. Battle of the Bay. Light the beam. 2-2. Big game coming up. Game five. Darren Fox says he's going to play. No way in hell he's not going to play, he said. Uh, back in Sacramento, back in the Golden One Center. I, I can't wait to watch this game. I mean, this series has been so much fun. And it brings up an argument that Dylan and I had off the off the mic the other day where I want to see the Kings win. I think the Kings have such a good story. Mike Brown's done such a good job with this team. And I just want to see an underdog get as far as they can 
potentially get to the finals. But Dylan, on the other hand, I know he has a different argument that he'd like to bring up. And it's just it's just interesting. I, I like to see the Kings get to the finals. He like to see the Warriors match up with the Lakers or the Warriors get to the finals because there will be more hype with the bigger market team as the later they get on down the road. But what do you think, Dylan? Look, we know how sports goes. We know how how fandom works in sports. If you're someone that doesn't follow sports and you turn on the TV, you're going to root for the underdog, right? And I have zero problem with that. I mean, look at our theme in this year. We, we've been underdog fans our whole lives. I'm New York Jet fan, New York Knicks fan, um, two teams that are always underdogs. With that being said, as a basketball fan, as someone who really wants to maximize entertainment value for this postseason, I'm rooting for the Golden State Warriors, and here's why. I, w- I always make this analogy, right? When, you, when you're filling out your March Madness bracket and you're looking at the first round, it's fun watching the 12 seed win, and it's fun watching the 13 seed win, and oh yeah, look at this Cinderella team. I, their stadium can't even fit 2,000 people. They're playing in a junkyard. Look at this, such an exciting win for these players and this coach and this program. You know what's not as exciting is watching the 12 seed play the 13 seed on True TV. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, it, it's great to watch these underdogs win, but in the later rounds of the playoffs, you want to see the big brands playing. And I mean, being honest, like watching the Elite Eight. Where or watching watching FDU play FAU wasn't as as exciting as as a game where the one seeds are all playing the final four. But I, I love the underdog individual in each game. But looking at this postseason, I think I want Golden State to win this series because if things hold, we're looking at, in my opinion, the most exciting second round series in the history of NBA basketball. The Golden State Warriors playing against LeBron James and the Lakers because the Lakers are hot. They're taking down the the Grizz right now, they're up 3-1. Hopefully they hold, hold on to that. But, I mean, look yourself in the mirror. What, what what gets you more excited to get out of bed in the morning? De'Aaron Fox versus D'Angelo Russell or LeBron and AD versus Steph and Clay and Dre? I mean, it, it would just be the ultimate series. The first one we'd see between the Lakers and the Warriors since the play-in a few years ago where, you know, Braun was looking at three rims and he shot at the middle one. But Doing his thing. I think the Kings are a fun team, bright future. Love what they got going. Really good culture. The, I mean, you were there out in Sacramento. You saw the lighting, the beam stuff. Super cool. Oh, yeah. yeah, it'd be fun to see them win, but I'm talking greatest potential second round series of all time. LeBron versus Steph. I want the Warriors to come out of this series, but I'm I'm, in, I'm enjoying it as it goes. Yeah, and I mean, LeBron versus Steph, it looks like it could be a reality. Especially with uh, Darren Fox having a hurt uh, finger on his shooting hand. I mean, yeah, he's their go-to guy. He's a clutch player of the year. I mean, if he can't shoot as well as he usually is, it's it might it it will probably take a toll on the performance of the Kings. But look, the Lakers. Dylan Brooks pissed off the wrong man. Um, he got LeBron James' face, and he hasn't been able to back it. And LeBron James just set a career high in rebounds the other day at age thirty-eight. I mean. He's playing unreal. The Lakers are up 3-1 right now, going back to Memphis for a big game five. Uh, must win for Memphis, obviously. Yep. I mean, I think this, besides the Kings series, I know it's a 3-1 series. You'd rather see a 2-2 or something like that. But I think this has been the most exciting series with all the drama that's been in it. I mean, just seeing LeBron perform at this level right now, watching John Morant, even though he was out for one game, John Morant is just so exciting to watch on the court. Uh, a little scary sometimes when he's jumping 10 feet up in the air to go up for a layup, but it's just such a good series. Um, I'm a huge LeBron guy. I like to see LeBron move on. Like Dill said, a LeBron versus Curry matchup would be cool in round two as 
even though I'd rather see the Kings move on. But, I mean, who wouldn't like a LeBron versus Curry matchup after we saw in the finals for however many so years? But, yeah, Lakers versus Grizzlies has given everything the people needed so far. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, if we talk about the Golden State-Sacramento series as being a David versus Goliath, I think we can all agree that this Lakers-Grizzlies series is the ultimate hero versus villain series. The Grizzlies have really developed themselves into being the NBA's least favorite team. Um, I actually love the way John Morant plays. You can't deny the entertainment value it brings to the league. And it's an, it's an exciting culture down there. But obviously, John Morant has has grown his his fair share of haters this year with all his off-court antics, which we won't yeah. get into. I, I think he's he's learning from it and moving past it. So I'm hoping that Ja gets past that. But he's not the main reason. Even with all that, I mean, flashing a gun on Instagram Live, if I told you before this year, Chad, that a, that a player flashed a gun on Instagram Live and gets in trouble for punching kids at the mall and is not the most hated player on his team, I mean, how would you react, yeah, right? It's unreal. It's that punk Dylan Brooks that we all hate, you know? The guy, I mean, if ultimate drama queen, there's a level of respect you got to have for certain players, for what they do in their sport, you know? Like, people would pick off Tom Brady and thank him for throwing him the interception. I remember that one guy... Uh, went to get his autograph on the intercepted ball after. But the point here to say is Dylan Brooks going up to LeBron or saying behind, saying in front of the camera that he's too old and that he's going to clamp him. No one wants to hear that. I mean, America's rooting for the Le- LeBron James and the Lakers to win. We'd all love to see LeBron get his, uh, his fifth ring, but mainly just to get by the Grizzlies. So I'm hoping that the Lakers close him out. But mainly I'm actually hoping that the Lakers stay healthy because I think their biggest – their biggest rival in this postseason is actually the injury bug because obviously with Anthony Davis, he's gained the name, the nickname Street Clothes over time for yeah. how for how much he's been out. LeBron James, as sad as it is, he's getting old. I mean, he's not looking it out there. Obviously, there's times where he's slowing up. I will say, there's yeah, times definitely. at the end of the game where you, definitely. if you if you were looking at him with the Cavs in 2016 or the Heat before that, he's driving to the basket and getting an N one. Where now he's looking a little more passive. But I mean. 22 points and 20 rebounds in a big game last night. Absolutely unbelievable. LeBron is so inspiring to watch and really a hero versus villain story. But, hey, the Grizzlies, you know what they say, like all press is good press. The Grizzlies have built a brand, and, they, and yep. they've they've become hated by a lot of people, but a lot of people are watching Memphis Grizzlies games, and I'm sure that's good for their business and for their team. So I hope the Lakers get out there, but – I also hope that it's a healthy ending and, you know, that John Morant is good and his hand's okay and we can see a good ending to that series. Yeah. No, I mean, Memphis is a scrappy team. They're a good young team. I don't think this year is their year, especially with injuries to Brandon Clark, Stephen Adams. But, I mean, the future is definitely bright with the young core, Desmond Bain, Darren Jackson, and John Morant, three great players. But, um, yeah, just before, uh, before Chad wraps us up and gets us into the interview – I uh, I just want to say that that we we will devote our own episode to the first round of the NBA playoffs and that'll come out in the next few days at the conclusion of the first round we'll do a complete debrief of all those uh, individual matchups most exciting players most disappointing players as well as a preview to the second round and rest of the playoffs so look forward to that in addition obviously the NFL draft is 2 days away we plan to have a great show on that as well so don't worry about maybe a lack of detail on this show because we're coming right back at you with several episodes in the next week or so. So look forward to that. And also for the rest of this episode. Yeah, I mean, we can talk, like you said, we can talk NBA playoffs for probably hours. We're two big NBA fans, but there's no better time than March Madness, in my opinion. And yep. I think there's no better way to get a March Madness talk going than with a big-time player on a Cinderella team in Princeton basketball. So 
We had a great talk with Zach. I'm really looking forward to airing it, and uh, let's get right to it. All right, today we're here with a very special guest. Um, Princeton had the Cinderella shoe, and it fit just right uh, in March. Um, this kid just so happens to share the same last name as me. His name is Zach Martini, number 54 for Princeton. Uh, really excited to have him on today. Junior at Princeton, um, did his thing in the tournament. My brother. Uh, it's his brother. I'm, it's his brother. If you didn't know, it's my brother. Uh, not, I'm his number one fan. I'm just really excited to get here, talk to him about him. Uh, Zach, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks, Zach. Uh, Dylan, by the way, pleasure to meet you. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about this epic March Madness run. Uh, Chad and I were talking beforehand for you about, you know, obviously for anybody, it's surreal to play in March Madness. But for you, like in the day leading up and even like hours leading up, at what point did it become real for you? Like, I'm about to play in March Madness, something I've watched since I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, pleasure to be here. Um, we we were able to watch in Sacramento. We played Arizona but beforehand. Utah State played Missouri. And before the game started, we went out on the court kind of behind the behind the bench of Missouri and we were able to watch the ending of the Missouri Utah State game and my leg was shaking uncontrollably for like 10 seconds and then we go back to the locker room everyone's just a lot of emotions everyone's amped up then we go onto the court and we're doing layup lines and I brick my first layup like right hand layup and I was like all right yeah this is this is not Jadwin Jim anymore yeah. um but then you know the top top ball gets subbed in the game uh, just running up and down, feel the contact, and, like you're ready to play. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then in that game, absolute roller coaster of emotions. Obviously, it's the ultimate David versus Goliath. You guys were, I think, 16 point underdogs going in. I don't know okay. if you look at that stuff before the game. I mean, it's it's hard not to, obviously. But uh, I mean, you guys were down, I believe, 10 with well, like eight minutes left in the game. Yeah, and we're actually down around 12. Yeah. Yeah, around 12, and then obviously ended up pulling it off. So, like, was there ever a point in that game where you? like when you were down 10 or 12 and you thought this thing was over? And then at what point did it become real that, hey, we might actually win this thing? We, we our, our game plan from our coach, Coach Mitch Henderson, was if they they cut 10, I mean, if they go up ahead 10, they go up ahead 12, he's going to call timeout. So with like six minutes left, we had no timeouts. We were down 12 and we're like, all right, like this is it. This is it here. Like we're either going to win or we're not. And we just, you know, we – came back on the court we said we got to play good defense because the shots weren't falling for us we shot 16 percent from three and we knew we had to do it on the defensive end um so i don't i don't think arizona didn't score a field goal the last four minutes of the game so yeah really, awesome. really committed to defense and um help our defense helps out our offense tremendously and yeah yeah um i forget who i was talking to i talked to a lot of people about this game because I was just bragging about this game. I felt like I was a Princeton player, even though I should be repping the Big Red. Bro, I thought he was on the team. I thought I was on the team. But um, so I forget who said this to me, but they're saying when you're an underdog, obviously being at the Golden One Center, it's a huge NBA stadium. Yeah. Awesome arena. But the thing that people don't really know is there's four teams' fans there because yeah. there's four games right. in the session. There's right. two in the first session, two in the second session. or So there'll be eight teams total. But during your session, there's four teams there. So everyone usually wants to root for the underdog. Yeah. And in that game, I was saying it while I was watching. I was like, it seems like there's only Princeton fans here. And obviously it's because you had Northwestern fans rooting for you. you had some Utah State fans are still there rooting for you. Missouri fans are there rooting for you. I mean, you just had every fan base besides Arizona rooting for you. I mean, how cool was that? Just being on the court, like, 
when Tosan grabbed that final rebound with about five seconds left, with all the excitement and energy in the arena, like, how was that? Yeah, there was actually a moment early on in the game um, where Tosan, it might have been Tavellis, Tavell- he blocked he blocked a shot and he grabbed the rebound from the block and went coast to coast and dunked it. And this was like early in the game, first half, yeah. uh, cut the lead to 28-31 Arizona. And Arizona called timeout and it was just, it was so loud. Yeah. Like, right, there's only one-fourth of the people are supposed to be Princeton fans, but everyone was rooting for us and that gave us a lot of a lot of confidence going into halftime, went down one and halftime, and we realized that everyone's on our side. And, I mean, you never really play a game like that ever again, except for the two games that followed after. Exactly, yeah. No, I mean, uh, that's awesome. Uh, like, another thing is you had, a, you had a really good first half that game. I mean, someone might look at the box score and say, all right, you had seven points, around seven, eight rebounds. Like, I think your biggest presence was on defense that game. I mean, you're covering uh, Azulis Tabellis, who was second-team All-American announced recently. Uh, Umar Balo, who was seven-foot-one specimen, just absolute unit. Right. I mean, how was it defending those guys? And then also at the same time, how was it getting your offensive game going and seeing that first shot going? Yeah. Um, guard, guarding those guys is fun. Uh, I love I love the challenge of being the underdog. Um Right, and we got nothing to lose, so we can play free and play confident. Mm-hmm. And we, we knew we were giving up a lot of size, but we were, uh, I mean, Keyshawn, myself, Caden, Pierce, uh, Keyshawn Kelman, Tosan, and Loma, we, we knew we had the speed advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we kind of just made it made it really t- tough for them to get the ball into the post and just kind of working back and forth around them, making the entry tough. And it was a lot of fun. It was tiring yeah. as hell. Um, yeah. It was just... You know, when you when you play when you play someone that much bigger than you and that one that someone that's that much more on the national radar than you, you kind of just you, you you want it more and your heart shows in those games. Um, yeah, and, yeah. On, on offense, um, I got checked in. Um, came out came in off the bench like the very first possession. I got an offensive rebound, and I was like, all right, these guys are giants, but like they're just they're just humans as well, right? Like yeah. they're playing the same game. So it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and I think my heart showed in that first half. Uh, stole the ball from Tabellis on a rebound and laid it back up, and that was a that was a fun moment. Yeah, no, that was that was awesome. And I guess this kind of goes into a question I was going to ask you later down the road. But I mean, you played teams like Arizona. You played Creighton with Kalkbrenner. Brenner. Played mm-hmm. Missouri with Kobe Brown, who I thought just looked like he should be in the NBA right now. I mean, he looked unreal against Utah State. You guys did a yeah. good job limiting him. We'll get to that later a little bit. But I mean, how well would you say? Playing on the EYBL circuit, I mean, he obviously played with guys like Jonathan Kaminga, Adama Sinogo, who was the MVP of the championship game later on, RJ yeah. Davis. You played at Gil St. Bernard's with Mackenzie Mbago, um, Paul McKay, a bunch of good talent. How well would you say playing on the circuit and playing at such a competitive high school set you up for these games? Yeah, it helped me out tremendously. Um, some of my favorite games. I mean, first off, quick plug to New Jersey high school basketball. I mean, Chad, Chad can testify to that. Some of the best in the country. Um, Let him know. Night in, night out. Night in, night out, you're playing top-tier talent. Um, he often testifies and, that. He says it often. Yeah, no, it, it's – I mean, if you, people go to war for for New Jersey high school basketball. Um, so we used to we used to play at Roosevelt Catholic a lot and play a kid named Cliff Murray, who's a great player. He's about, I don't know, 6'11", freak – wingspan just dunks everything so i mean i played him probably four times in my high school career and 
that really prepared me for this game against um, Arizona. And, you know, we never, never got to beat his team in high school, but playing Arizona got to win that game felt special. And then um, the YBL is just it's the best, best players in the country. And, you know, there's coaches at every game, so you got to show up or you're not going to get recruited. Right. Um, yeah. So the high stakes of UIBL and NJ basketball really, really definitely helped me excel. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. So then you got that win against Arizona, obviously, probably on cloud nine. You didn't think you were going to get it. And all of a sudden you got another game to play. So first yeah. of all, I mean, we saw glimpses of it in the, in the media, but what was that locker room like? But at the same time, how does the, how did you guys transition from that excitement to, we got a game to play in less than 48 hours. So what was that transition like for you guys? Did you pack enough clothes? Like, did did you think you were going to win? Uh, I know the Fairleigh Dickinson coach, Tobin Anderson, awesome guy. He was uh, like up on the podium. And he was like, I got to go do some laundry. Like, was that real for you guys? Like, what was yeah. that like? Um, my roommate, Matt Alaco, uh, one of our, our point guard captain of the team. He's, he's our engine, really. Um, and he's he's just like, he knew we were in the game and he knew, he knew not to pack lightly. And so everyone kind of, everyone kind of fed off that energy. Um, but it definitely was a big shock to win that game. Right. Obviously. And then to kind of soak in what we just did, but then realize, like, like you said, great question, Dylan, we got to play Missouri, right. in 24 hours. So um, kudos to our coaches and preparing us for Missouri really well. We had a great game plan against them. Um, but really just like, the belief that we were going to, we just beat Arizona. So we should just go beat Missouri too. Right. Um, and the belief in the confidence in the group was just so strong after Arizona and the focus too. Like we might as well just keep winning games if we're here. Right. Yeah. Did you get to celebrate that first win at all? Yeah, we did. We, um, we went to this really, really nice steakhouse. So in Sacramento, we had good mouth, mouth to swear. Yeah. Go ahead. No one's stopping you. In, in Sacramento, we had like shit food. Um, like really, poor food and uh, a few a few of our players got food poisoning uh one of our coaches got food poisoning yeah coach was like all right we're going to this like super nice steakhouse we walk in people are like clapping they 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 knew we beat arizona somehow I and mean, i'm sure someone let them know beforehand but we went to the steakhouse got 65 dollars steaks um our coach was having fun everyone was having fun um yeah that, that was that was our celebration and then we had some karaoke on the on the bus ride back to the hotel, our coaches. Awesome. Okay, so yeah, you talk about, I mean, just the excitement over Arizona. Like Dylan said, you got Mizzou coming up. And Mizzou, I mean, I'm looking at it. It's a tough SEC opponent. I mean, SEC in every sports conference, in basketball, football, every sport they play, it's tough, hard it means more, yeah. It means more, yeah. yeah, just it just means more. It's SEC, you know. Um, But in that game, you guys are up 20 points in the second half. I know a lot of credit goes to – Mr. Blake Peters, the sharpshooter himself, had himself a day. But, yeah. I mean, like, wh- like, how was the vibe during that game? You guys were up – you guys had a big lead in the first half, up around 12, 14 points, and they cut to seven. And there were so there were nerves in the fans. I don't know if there were nerves in the locker room for you guys, but we were like, are they going to come back? Is this it? But then you guys just opened it up in the second half, and we're just playing just confident. They're playing smooth and just playing team basketball. And you go to a 20 point win against an SEC opponent. I mean, right. what was that like? Yeah. I mean, coach, coach, we, you know, we were up 14. They, uh, kid honor made a really tough three. Um, they made some tough shots, cut to seven going into halftime and coach said, like, yeah, they're, they're going to make a run. Like, I mean, they're a good team. They're going to bring, bring the game back. 
But I think we were like, no, screw that. Like, we're going to open this thing up and we're going to freaking roll them. Yes, um, sir. And I think that was really, really, really exemplified that was Ryan Langborg. He had a great game, played fearless, was getting to the cup. Um, he scored our first 13 points in the first half. So he was rolling the whole game. Um, well, Blake, and then you talk about Blake, right? Blake had night of his life, but Blake only played two minutes in the first half. Yeah. Um, and that's that's kind of that's something that's he's that's kind of been his role, right? Like he might not play a lot of minutes, but when he comes in, like he's gonna freaking drill shots. And yeah. actually, so coach our, our coach McConnell, it's like Zach, go get Blake. And then Coach Henderson, who's our head coach, like, no, leave him in. He's leave him in for one more minute. And he made his first three. Then he made second. Then he made three. So I mean, like, there's just there's a, there's a lot of confidence in him. And there's a lot of confidence throughout the whole program that he's gonna make big time shots. And I mean, he freaking did. Yeah, five threes and seventeen. He had seventeen points in like fifteen minutes, yeah. something like that. Like, yeah. No, I mean, it's a credit to Blake. It's a credit to Coach Henderson for trusting him. Hate yeah. to say it, but I mean, that's what Jacques Vaughn was looking for with Joe Harris last night. Brought him in second half. Went 0 for 3 on his shots, though. So, I mean, it's kind of the same deal, but I guess that shows you Blake Peters stays ready. Blake Peters does his thing. Um, shout out, Blake. Let's not waste their time on the Nets here. They're awful right now. But uh, so so you win that game against Missouri. Um, you, you you blow them out. And then you, you, yeah. go back to, you go back to campus, right? That's what people don't realize. You, you, go, yeah, yeah. you go all the way back to New Jersey from Sacramento. Uh, yep. What's that like? I mean, there's the classic video. I'm a North Carolina fan. Of Luke May coming back after sending them to the oh, yeah. where he did his eight AM class, gets a standing go. Yeah. I mean, it's different. You guys are at Princeton and Ivy League school. Like uh, you get sort of celebrity treatment. Are, are you getting more food at the dining halls? Are you getting looks from some girls you wouldn't have gotten them from? What was it like being on campus for those few days? No, there's there was definitely uh there was definitely some some um some nice treatment for us. But like you said, it's Princeton. So at the end of the day. It's like not a lot of people really give a crap, but some some people did. And I had like a class with like 15 people. There was just one like super social kid in it. And he was like a big fan of the team. I walked in and he started, he stood up, and started clapping and told everyone else to start clapping. Yes, he should. And I was like, all right, thanks. I was like, thanks, bro. What a guy. Um, what a guy. That, shout that out was, to him. Yeah, shout out to him. Uh, his name was Tom. I don't know his last Tom. name. Tom. That, boy, that boy, Tom. That boy, Tom. Um, but yeah, um, it was it was great. Um, there was such a such a great spirit um, from just alumni, and you really 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 didn't think that that many people really would pay attention to watching us play basketball, right? Because there's so many things going on at Ivy League schools. Um, I'm sure you guys see it at Cornell as well. But there was there was a great uh there was a great response and there was a great spirit in the Princeton community. Yeah, yeah, I saw a funny, funny, yeah. funny video on TikTok about like the second you guys like won that first game, like, yo, Princeton's going crazy. And it was like, yeah. the library and, was packed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think we might've been on, no, you know what? We were on spring break. We were on spring break. Um, And there is only game. Matt Alaco is big, he's a big time trash talker. And uh, Tubalist was like, go, go home. You suck. And I said, go back to school, go back to school. You suck. He said, he said, fuck you. We're on spring break. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, uh, that's yeah. Great. Oh, that was that was a, that was a good one. That was a good one. Um, I mean, yeah. Now since we're talking about Princeton, I think it's really important that we talk about just Ivy League basketball. Mm. I mean, you guys started off over two out of conference, two tough losses. Right. You had losses to Yale, to Brown, to Dartmouth, but then you go and have a twenty-point win against a team like Mizzou, and then mm. now you look at your team right now. 
going into next year is going to be an exciting year to see where you guys do. But you have a guy like Tosan who declares for the draft. You have a guy like Ryan who I'm not going to say anything that you told me, but is getting a lot of high looks right now. You have Keyshawn who just committed to FGCU. And then even years past, you had uh, Jalen Llewellyn go to Michigan, had guys go to Colorado. Other schools had guys go to Notre Dame, go to Duke, schools like that. I mean, what does this say about the level of play in the Ivy League? And what does two wins against two really big teams show that, like, Ivy League is legit. There's basketball everywhere. Like, you could find cats everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you kind of hit it on – hit that nail on the head right there. Like, Ivy League guys are – Ivy League guys are getting really sought after looks in the, in the transfer portal, right? Um, and we, we can play, right? And I think we showed that in the national stage. I mean, we were in – we were in uh, Louisville, and some guy asked us, "Like, where is Princeton? Like, right? We're we're still not on the national athletic athletics uh, athletic map, yeah. right? Um, I think I think we're trending in the right direction. I mean, the Ivy League basketball is so competitive. I mean, twenty one of your guys just commit to a little Chicago. I saw, yeah. Um, yeah. and I mean, yeah, it's just I mean, every every year, I mean, Yale was ranked number sixty five in the net ranking. The Net ranking ranks one through three hundred sixty, whatever. Yeah. Um. And if you take out, unfortunately, Columbia had a t- rough year. If you take out Columbia, like our average net ranking is like one hundred forty, which is really, which is really good. And people yeah. really sleep on the Ivy League, but um, people like to think the A ten is kind of a step ahead. But the last last net ranking, last Ken Palm ranking, had the Ivy League as the twelfth best conference in the country. Yeah. Um, and without without scholarship, right? Like, it's big-time basketball. And without, I mean, in today's day and age, it's all it is is NIL, NIL. I mean, right, right. as I mean, two Ivy League athletes right here, like, we could testament that NIL is not that big in the Ivy League right now. Yeah, we – so, uh, I'll just jump in there. We – uh, when we when we got back from uh, Sacramento, we had an immediate, like, NIL, like, press conference with – like some guy from compliance at Princeton in the athletic department. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, you got to set up this, it's called open doors. I don't yeah. know if you got it. Yeah. Yeah. Some of us use it's it. Like a, it's like a platform for people to kind of hire you, do whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, and everyone's like, you got to, you got to jump on this. You're burning money if you don't. But like, even, even when we're even making it on the national scale, on the national scale, NIL is really not a big factor of it. When you see, you see guys like, uh, Nigel Pack last year went to Miami and what was he paid like 500k or something like that? Yeah, like ridiculous. It's crazy to, I mean, to compete on the monetary side of things. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, it just shows. Uh, it's not even just Ivy League basketball, but Ivy League football has been coming up. I mean, Ivy League wrestling, Ivy League lacrosse, Ivy League hockey. It's all oh, just yeah. top of the top. So, and without NIL, without scholarship, it just shows a lot. I mean, it shows a lot about the kids. A lot about the coaching and about the heart and the play of the Ivy League. I think it's something sick. I think you guys did a great job of just showing it on the highest level. Yeah, yeah. And then after this whole thing, like, like, like you mentioned, like you, you're lifting again. You're already looking at next season. Is that kind of hard? Like, obviously, you're a little hungover from the big tournament run. Like, um, what's that like having to buy in again in April, like weeks after just being on the national stage, and now yeah. you're you're back to the fundamentals and lifting and shooting around. There's a uh... There was a we had a, we had like a nice grace period to kind of really absorb the moment and kind of just get off our feet. I mean, we actually we 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 competed in Spain in August, so we've been practicing since August 9th, and we ended like March thirtieth, March twenty yeah. fourth. 
so we've been going for a long time wow. um but but yeah that's it's like it's how do we keep in perspective what we did uh this great run go to sweet 16 but also right like the 2023 2024 team is zero and zero and yeah. we're missing a lot of guys from that team so we got to find a way to motivate use that sweet 16 run to motivate us but also keep in perspective that like this is a new team and we want to write our own legacy right so um yeah. i'm looking forward to it it's going to be a fun challenge and um should be a fun year next year yeah yeah um yeah so wrapping up with the march madness stuff I mean, obviously, we've talked a lot about this. And there's some stuff that even I saw just from being a fan watching on TV that you don't even get to hear. See, I have some of your key moments, individual moments, that I noted that you told me or that I saw. So sure. one of them in the Arizona game, you had a three. Unfortunately, the me- the guy in charge of media or the video during the game recap put the wrong clip. But Ernie Johnson says it's 5 o'clock somewhere. It's Zach Martini time. Um, you had a picture with Ian Eagle, who is my GOAT broadcaster. I get to listen to him for every Nets game. He's a legend. Has some awesome calls, like the throwdown, all these great stuff. Legend. So you got a picture with him, and he talked about you a little bit in the broadcast, a little bit about high school and stuff like that. You had a game-sealing pass versus Arizona, and obviously it wouldn't have been a game. Don, learn it from me, quarterback. Obviously it wouldn't have been a game-sealing pass if clutch if uh, the clutch free throws didn't go in by Cade, which were just two huge free throws. Yeah, um, big time. One of the funnier ones you told me, uh, as mentioned by Mr. Jack Harlow and What's Poppin', you went to Vincenzo's, and I don't know if you ate fish yeah. in Louisville, but you said that was a sick moment. And then also, my last one I have listed here is you met Governor Murphy, and Governor Murphy, who is the governor of New Jersey, he actually knew you and knew all the New Jersey guys on the team, so he came up to you and talked to you. Uh, yeah. And then also, like, I didn't, I don't have it right here, but just being on Twitter and on Instagram, just all the media coverage that you guys had, what yeah. is your favorite individual moment that you will have stick with you forever from this? Um, wow, that's a great, that's a great little highlight reel you got there. It was fun to listen to that. Yeah, um, you know what? Uh, I, I was watching the Arizona game the other day and, um, there's like a nine minute highlight reel online and you kind of just watch the game happen. And then you see the end of the game and you kind of know that eventually I'm about to make that pass to Cade. Um, and as, as that play is developing in the highlight reel, I got goosebumps watching it. And uh, it was just so cool. That, yeah. that's, you know, that, and that was, that was a moment where I like, know that my, my kind of, my MO is three and D. Yeah. Uh, I just I caught I didn't really catch the the pass cleanly and I ha- didn't have time to think and I just took a dribble and f- fired one down there and uh, Cade got it and made two big free throws and um, that that was that was probably a huge moment. Um, I had a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of my friends at school. They were they were like they were, they were recording the game. They watched. They sent me that the reaction to that play. Yeah, uh, that was that was probably you know what I actually from um. Another thing, I ended up going on a CBS Sports podcast, and I ended up talking about the Jets. That was a lot of fun. Um, something yeah. I never thought would happen. Big yeah. year coming. Yeah, that's cool. They're, they're, they're going to sign Aaron Rodgers. I know it's going to happen. I'm not panicked yet. So Yeah. Uh, trying not to. <laughs> I, I wouldn't worry about anything. He just said he said today it's them or nothing. So Love that. Good to hear. And then I, I, one more thing that I even forgot was – you were posted on Barstool Sports of you making the pass. 
with them captioning are like, is it about to be over? And that got like hundreds of thousands of views. And then really? Yeah, yeah. Huh. You've seen it. You've seen it. And then you were the um you were the March you were the cover picture on the March Madness uh main Twitter when you guys upset them and that had like tens of thousands of likes. Just a sick right. review. And then also another one I didn't think of, you guys were on the back of the uh NY post. So like yeah, it was just like just so many cool things. Like it just had to have been like the time of your life. I know I was yeah. just yeah, that's uh that's a good one. Then my post. I mean, I every, every Monday morning on Twitter, NY post some something the Jets did terribly, yeah. but uh, being able to see me and Cade on the top right, uh, yeah. after the big moment, that was that was that was fun. Yeah, forgot about that. That was good. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, then I think we'll do one more question with March Madness. I mean, obviously, that's had a tough loss to um to Creighton, but you guys look to be in high spirits after. I know there was that picture of you that um was uh that someone remade with some art next to it with a towel over your head, which was a it's a beautiful picture. But um, how were the spirits after the game? I mean, you guys have such a run. You guys are at the highest of your highs, and then it's a heartbreaking loss in a game where you guys fought, you guys competed the whole game. I mean, what's the locker room like after that? Obviously, you guys are upset, but does the realization hit that, wow, you just beat a number two seed, number 15 seed, or number seven seed as a 15 seed? Like, what are the emotions like during that? It was, uh, so last year we lost to Yale in the Ivy League final. Mm -hmm. um, Two-point loss. And you, you could hear a pin drop in the locker room after that. Um, and it was just really, really quiet. And then. No, everyone was just kind of balling, right? Everyone was just really, really upset. A lot of emotions, but you know, this this one was a lot different. There was there was such a joy in what we did, and a realization finally of you know when the moment when when it you don't really realize how special it was until it ends. Mm -hmm. And um, with that being said, there was still a lot of emotions. Seniors were upset. You you look around at some of your best friends, and you know you're never going to play again with them, and. That's tough, but you know it's, it's the reality of sports. It brings to the highs and it brings to the lows. Um, but there was an overall, a much much better uh, team team morale. And um, I mean, if you're if you want your season to end somewhere, the Sweet Sixteen is not a bad way to end it. So absolutely, not. especially with expectations going in and being right. high with all the how low they hold you. I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all for me. You got anything else? No, though? thanks for coming on, Zach, and congratulations. Yeah. Get on the run and good luck with the off season. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah, like, no, this is this is awesome. I know you're starting up your podcast soon, so I'm hoping uh, I get to something. Yeah, so. we'll uh, we'll get you guys on whenever we get this thing rolling. Right. Um, Love that. Talk some Jets if we have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was awesome. All right, thanks, Zach. Cool. Thanks, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Zach Martini. That'll be all for today's show. As I mentioned, look forward for a few more episodes in the next week or so about the NBA postseason as well as the NFL draft. Thanks for listening to the first episode. We hope you listen to the rest. Take Thanks, care. Guys. Thanks.